God is so good, isn't he? We need to remember that. God is so good. Psalm 140. We're getting close. We're getting close to finishing Psalms. It's been a wonderful study on Wednesday nights. Psalm 140 is where we're going to begin tonight. As Father, we do come. And once again, we just thank you for the marvelous work that you've done um, in this place. Salvation has come. Um, Your love has been proclaimed. And Lord, um, I thank you for the marvelous privilege that we have to be able to be a part of what you are doing in this community, in this church. And Lord, I do pray that tonight as uh, we open our Bibles and as we read your word, that we would be touched and encouraged and edified. Maybe somebody's here that really needs a special touch from you of encouragement or comfort, um, assurance. Lord, as we read your word, that it would touch the heart of every individual in here. And Lord, so we thank you that we can be here once again to go through these wonderful psalms. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 140 through 145 are the last of the psalms of David. And of course, David called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He penned, we know, at least 74 psalms out of the 150 that are in the book of Psalms. And that's why he's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He probably wrote some of the other psalms in here that does not have his name uh, to those psalms. So we're going to see these last psalms of David that are in the book of Psalms. And of course, many of them that we have seen have come out of David going through trials and difficulties. There were two main seasons in his life that he went through tremendous difficulties and trials. And one was before he became king, even though it was Samuel that came to Bethlehem and anointed David as the king of Israel because Saul had been rejected. And we know that at that time that David didn't ascend to the throne right away. He was just a young shepherd boy. And he would end up being persecuted by Saul. Matter of fact, the prime of his life, he ended up fleeing Saul's you know, jealousies and wrath and trying to kill him from about the time he was 18 to the time we know he was 30 years old when he became the king. That is, uh, after Saul's death there on Mount Gilboa. So for those 12 years, here is David. He's being pursued by Saul. And as many as 3,000 men that were with Saul trying to come against David, trying to kill him, chase him down. And that was a very difficult time for David. Another season that was very, very difficult for David, we read about in 2 Samuel, when David was the king of Israel and his son Absalom, as it tells us, stole the hearts of the men of Israel and took the throne away from David. And, And David had to flee for his life from Jerusalem out into the wilderness. And, and so David was uh, out there in the wilderness in agony because this was done by his son whom he loved. And it tells us that the whole nation, the whole kingdom had turned against David. So some of these psalms that we have read going through the book of Psalms that David has penned has been out of those two seasons of difficulties. And in Psalm 140, this psalm was written during that time of Saul persecuting him or Absalom's rebellion against David uh, as the men of Israel rose up against him. And, And can you imagine, can you imagine a whole nation coming against you? 
I mean, it's hard enough when you got one person that comes against you. But to have a whole nation, a whole kingdom that would come against you, Moses, he faced that, didn't he, as he was out in the wilderness uh, with the children of Israel. And there were times where the people wanted to stone Moses. And when they went through difficulties in their rebellion and unbelief, they said, Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? We want to go back to Egypt. And they would have a vote to get rid of Moses as their leader. And the vote would be two and a half million to nothing. And they were going to stone Moses at different times. So Moses, he had a whole you know, nation that would come against him. And David had the whole kingdom that came against him. But I want to remind us here tonight, do you realize that we have a kingdom that comes against us? A whole kingdom. You see, there's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, and then there's the kingdom of darkness. And we know that Paul the Apostle, he would write about spiritual warfare, that it's real, that the enemy Satan comes against us. And you recall in Ephesians chapter 6 that he would say to you and to me that we're not to um, be uh, ones that... uh, that are to be ignorant, as he would say to the Corinthian believers, of Satan's devices coming against us. But he would say to us that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, that Satan has a whole host of, of demons and the, de- and the kingdom of darkness that are very organized, that will come against you and I. And we need to understand that, that he will do battle against us as we are to uh, put on the whole armor of God, that Paul says, that you may withstand the, the schemes, the fiery darts of the enemy that comes against you and me. So that spiritual battle is very real. I believe it was A.W. Tozer that said that this isn't a playground, it is a battleground. And we know that we are in a spiritual warfare as we are believers. And particularly if you're one that is growing in the Lord and knowing him and being used of the Lord, you're going to be a major target for the enemy. He's going to come against us continually. So David was one that had a whole kingdom came against him. Moses faced that literally with men. But you and I, we have the kingdom of darkness that will come against you and I as well. So let's begin to look at Psalm 140. To the chief musician, the title reads, A Psalm of David. And David writes, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men. In verse 2, Who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war, and they sharpen their tongues like a serpent, and poison of apps is under their lips. Shalah. That, that meditation, that pause there. Uh, after verse 3. So here Satan will again uh, attack us and one of the the devices that he uses as again Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 don't be ignorant of Satan's devices that he will use the poisonous tongue. And there were the men of Israel at this time whatever David was going through whether it was uh, at the hands of Saul or Absalom that there were those who planned evil things in their hearts. And notice in verse 2, he writes that they continually gather together for war. In other words, it it wasn't a short season. And I think that this was probably a time that he was running from Saul because that was a long period of time that David had to endure. They continually came against David. And it seemed like when David ever got a break, there came Saul and those men against him, seeking him to take his life. His life. So, so David is saying they continually are coming against me 
day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they're planning their evil against me. And know this, that Satan will continually come against you and I, won't he? You see, Satan never has a good day. He doesn't say, I think that I'll give, you, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff a break or you a break. He will find every opportunity at every moment to come against you and I, to battle against us, to war against us, to, to scheme against us. And one of the ways is by a poisonous tongue. Now, David experienced by the hands of the nation, these men that gathered against him. But you and I as Christians understand this, that I believe that there's going to be more of the poisonous tongue, if you would, that David writes about those who slandered him and gossip and lied about him, said things that were untrue. I think that we're going to be uh, experiencing that more and more from the world as we see that the world is getting more evil, it's getting more darker, we're getting the world, our nation, further away from the Lord. You and I are going to be a target of those who are unbelievers and rebellious against the Lord. You're going to experience it at work. You're going to experience it even amongst your own family. You will experience uh, it with others that are linked to you in your life, that they will say things against you, and they will come and try to um, you know, pull you down in the things that they say and hurt you and all these other things. And so that's what was happening to David. So Satan will use the poisonous tongue as he uh, is talking about. It's poison as of ass is under their lips and sharpen their tongues like a serpent. And then we read in verse 4, Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have a purpose to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me, and then that med, uh, meditation again uh, at the end there of verse uh, 5. So here, the second scheme is hidden traps. You see, the enemy, he loves to, to put out those hidden traps, uh, those, you know, schemes that he has. Uh, he tries to uh, get us to fall into snares, cords here. Uh, a net, he says in verse 5, they spread a net by the wayside. They've set traps for me. Continually, David was, was uh, facing that. And there's a net today that the enemy sets out that a lot of people end up being tangled up in and, and, and trapped by the Internet. And it's such a, a way for Satan, a tool for him to get into our lives to bring sin and carnality. And a lot of people fall by it. They get entrapped by it as they pull up things that they shouldn't be, maybe pornography. They get involved with things in social media that causes them to fall into sin. I don't know how many times that we've had to talk with people that uh, they got on some sort of social media and, and met up with somebody that perhaps was an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend. Listen, we need to be careful, folks. The enemy will use those things, to hidden traps and snares and nets and all of that, to try to get a foothold into your life, to make you ineffective in your walk with the Lord to try to destroy your family, your marriage, try to, to bring you down, and he's very good at it. And those things are all around us, and we need to be careful. We need to understand this, that God does love us. 
And that's something that I love to emphasize. And he wants the very best for us. But also know this, that Satan hates you. And he hates me and he hates this church. And he wants to try to ruin your life. He wants to try to ruin my life. He wants to try to ruin our family. He wants to try to ruin our church family. And that's why any kind of carnality or sin or worldly pleasure is just bad news. And the deception that comes with it. And I pray that we're beginning to understand that more in our lives. It isn't about legalism and all of this. It's wisdom. And to know that we have an enemy that comes against us continually. And he will try to lay those things out there. When somebody puts out a trap, it's deceptive, isn't it? They put the bait there so that animal will go to that, that bait and end up being trapped or fall into a pit. And that's what the enemy does. And he has a lot of bait out there. They try to pull us into something that's going to bring us down and trap us and to, to ensnare us. So we need to be careful. So how is it again that we come you know, against the enemy, fight against the enemy? You know that what we are to do, as David would say, I think he gives us the answer here in verse 6. And I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O, o God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. So David here, what he is dependent upon is prayer. Number one is prayer. We are to be praying. It's so important that we be praying, praying for our family, praying for our spouse, praying for this church. We need to be in prayer. You know when Satan really begins to tremble and become weak is when Christians gather together to pray. When we get on our knees and we're praying for one another and we're seeking the Lord, he trembles. He becomes so ineffective at that time. So we need to pray. And that's what David, he knew that he was to pray. He said, Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplication. You're my strength, Lord. I'm going to go to you and pray. So praying is something that needs to be a priority in our lives and in this church life, that we need to be praying continually. And then second of all, as we've talked about even in our Luke study, that we need to be in the Word of God, right? We need to be continually in the Word of God so it will give us wisdom. We won't be ignorant of Satan's devices. We won't be deceived. We won't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to live as fools because we can walk in the wisdom of God and the Word of God will guide us in every area of our lives. And I love knowing the Word of God. Just as Jesus, remember we saw in Luke chapter 4, when Satan came and, and the temptations of Satan against Jesus, and Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and Satan left. And we are to be ones that not only as we know the Word of God, but we're obedient to the Word of God. And as we are praying and as we are seeking God in His Word and living after Him in the power of the Holy Spirit, then Satan is going to be ineffective in coming against us. So we want to make sure that we are ones that we are praying and in the Word of God. We are to take the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6. That's part of the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which Paul writes, which is the Word of God. I was looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23 and David's mighty men. And Benaiah was one of his mighty men. And it says that Benaiah, he jumped down into this pit on a cold day when it was snowy, and he killed a lion in the pit. 
Now, that's a pretty, you know, awesome warrior, isn't it? He took his sword and he, you know, did the lion in. And it was a cold day. And I'll tell you what can happen in my life. And I think that perhaps the tendency can be with some of us or a lot of us is when we feel a little bit cold spiritually. That we say, I I don't really want to read my Bible today. I really don't want to pray today, Lord. And that's when especially we need to be praying and in the word of God. And he would defeat that line as they took the sword and he thrust it in that line and know, as Peter says, that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we defeat him through the word of God, being obedient to the word of God. And then also it says Benaiah, he, he uh, went against this Egyptian, this mighty Egyptian, and, and took the sword out of his hand and, and ended up killing that Egyptian. And Egypt, of course, in the Old Testament is a picture of what? The world. And the world comes against us. And we need the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, because our weapons are, you know, not carnal, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 is what it is, that he tells you and I in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Again, talking about holding every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, the word of God that's in my mind and in my heart being worked out in my life. We don't battle against, you know, it isn't carnal, but it's a spiritual battle that is out there. So our weapons are God's truth, prayer, God's love that we live in, walking in obedience, and then Satan is going to be defeated. And that's how we can come against the world and fight against the world and be safe from the world and also the enemy Satan uh, who comes against us. And then David continues here in Psalm 140 that as we read in verse 9, As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them and let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not ag- up again. And let not a slander be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. In verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. And surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. And so in the time of trouble, it's better to fall back on the truth of God's word in our conduct and to trust him, not to be vengeful, uh, not to just react out of our emotions, anger or wrath or anything like that. But know this, I love verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain. I know that the Lord will maintain. He's going to take care of me. He sees me. He knows what I'm going through. He loves me. And, and he will maintain. It was Solomon when he was praying and dedicating the temple there in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8. And he's praying and he says, Lord, that if we go to battle against the enemy, which you and I do, that he said that, Lord, we know that you will maintain that you have a purpose for us as a nation and there's a purpose for this temple that is here and the Lord has a purpose for you and for me. 
And he will maintain. He will see us through. And he will keep us because we belong to him. So here is David writing this psalm in a time of great difficulty. And in Psalm 141, a psalm of David, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. And let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So in Psalm 141, David, of course, we have seen very clearly, he was a worshiper. Worship was a priority. Prayer was a priority with him, especially as he went through difficulties. And here it's interesting as he says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Uh, Give ear to the voice when I cry out to you. And we've talked a lot about that, that we can cry out to the Lord, especially in a time when we are hurting, going through difficulties, and know that he hears you. He loves you. And let my prayer be set before you as incense. And, and so Paul here, or that is David is saying, that the lifting up of my hands in the evening sacrifice. And what David is saying, that his prayers, his worship to the Lord was like incense to God. Now, incense had to be, as for example, in uh, the holy place, there was the, the altar of incense. As you walked into the holy place in the tabernacle or into the temple, there was uh, the seven-branch menorah, there was the shoebread table, the altar of incense that the priest would go in with the hot coals and he would burn incense and it would uh, have smoke and uh, the aroma. It was like a sweet smell and aroma unto the Lord is, is what the Lord would say to the children of Israel. It represented the prayers of the people. Know this, that your prayers are like a sweet smell and aroma to the Lord. As you cry out to him, as you go to him. But as I was thinking about this incense, uh, uh, an aroma, uh, incense, it had to be burned, didn't it? Or if you had like a fragrance, as I was thinking about Mary, who took that alabaster box there in John's gospel right before Jesus went to the cross and she broke that box, right? She broke that box and she anointed Jesus and it says that the fragrance filled the whole house. You and I are to be like a sweet smell and aroma unto the Lord. And the scripture talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, let me read it to you. That Paul writes, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to another, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? And so here is Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians. He's just pouring out his heart to them. He said, when we came to you, we came and we shared the gospel freely. We didn't come peddling the word of God. We didn't come manipulating. We didn't come with uh, you know, different motives other than we want you to experience Jesus Christ and come to know eternal life. And Paul is saying that as we have come to you and as you as believers, that we are the fragrance of Jesus Christ. We are to be a sweet smell and aroma to others. But here's something to consider, that as we pray to the Lord, it's like a sweet smell and aroma. As we say things that are pleasing to the Lord, uh, it's like a sweet smell and aroma. We are to be the fragrance of Christ to others, and that's what I pray that we are. That we are that aroma that is pleasing to others because 
we're sharing the love of Jesus Christ because we know him. We're, you know, uh, speech is seasoned with salt, with grace, that, that people see that we speak wisdom, that we just are that fragrance of Christ around the people that we know and love very, very much. But you see that fragrance, that aroma there in the Old Testament. It would come by the burning it as they would take it to that altar and burn it. Mary in John's gospel, she would break the alabaster box and anoint it Jesus and it filled the whole house. Listen, even in the times where you're going through fiery trials and difficulties or even through the brokenness of your life, the situations that you go through, that I go through, and I, I'm learning this more and more the longer that I live through the trials and through the times where I feel broken and the times where I'm going through a fire, that as I just surrender to the Lord and look to Him and cry out to Him and really trust in Him and depend on Him, that not only is it a sweet-smelling aroma to Him, and that's what He desires for us to do, not to give up, not to quit, not to grow cold, not to, to, to get further away from the Lord. See, there can be a tendency to do those things. There's a tendency to say, forget it, Lord. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to be in the Word. I'm not going to be in fellowship anymore. I'm not going to be doing those things that you want me to do. But as we're trusting in Him, then it's a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. But then there's a sweet-smelling aroma, that fragrance of Christ, that will be to others in some way, somehow. People are going to look at us and say, wow, you're going through the fire. You're going through, you know, um, some things that are very difficult. And in the brokenness of our lives and through the trials of our life, we can be a sweet smell and aroma to the Lord and have the fragrance of Jesus Christ as we trust in him and rest in his love. So here is David. He's just pouring out his heart to the Lord during this time. And as we continue in verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. So here David says, Let me guard my mouth. And especially when we're going through hard times, or we maybe have somebody who's coming against us or giving us a hard time or, or whatever things are going on in our lives that are very hard for us to go through, we need to be careful to guard our mouths. And, and that's something for, for me, as something for all of us to keep in mind, that we need to continue to speak the things of the Lord. I know for me, I can get frustrated. I can, you know, get upset. And I need to let the, the Word of God guide me. I need to let the Word of God determine how it is I'm going to react. I don't want to react out of anger or out of just emotions or things like that. I don't want to fall into evil. That's the prayer of David. Set a guard over my mouth. I don't want to say anything that is unpleasing to you. David was one that really desired to please the Lord with his life and the things that he said. And I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. Because I know that words can really hurt. 
Just as he said in the previous psalm that the words that they're coming against me, these, these men that plan evil things, their tongues like a serpent, poison of ass is under their lips. And we know that the Bible has a whole lot to say about words that can hurt. And we've heard the sayings, haven't we, about, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not true. They do hurt, don't they? And, and we say as the kids were told that, you know, words that come bounce off of me and stick to you, something like that. Remember those sayings? Well, they don't bounce off us. They hit us. And they can bring hurt. And so the Bible says, no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification. And I know that, Lord, I'm just growing and wanting to, to really take on what your word says about be quick to hear and slow to speak. And, and um, I don't want to say things that, that are unpleasing to you, that's going to tear people down. I, I don't want to get involved in those things. I want to be careful. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Because words do hurt. You know, don't, don't just bounce off of people. They stick. Don't they? Speaking of bouncing off, true story today. You saw all the water balloons? I know the youth. They, they always want to try to get me. So, so at the end of the day, it's like I made sure all the buckets were kicked over with water. All the water balloons were gone. But there is one. I won't say who he is. He had a big water balloon. He had it hidden. And he came. True story. He came, and he threw it at me, and it bounced off me, and it went on him, and it exploded all over. And I told him, I said, the Bible says, don't touch God's anointed. I told you. <laughs> I love these kids. They're so much fun. They're a lot of fun. But words, unfortunately, don't do that. You get hit with a water balloon, you dry out. You get hit with a lot of negative words, somebody tearing you down, putting you down, being negative. It really affects us, doesn't it? And I pray that, Lord, help me to set a guard over my mouth. And as I was thinking about this, kind of interesting, set a guard, keep a watch over the door of my lips. You know, the tomb. They set a guard over the tomb, didn't they? When Jesus was put into the tomb, they set a watch. They set a guard over that tomb, but Jesus came out. And you see, what is inside of us is going to come out. And I pray that it's Jesus and the words of Jesus. Because what is in your heart, the mouth speaks the abundance of the heart, Jesus said. And what is in our hearts will come out in the words that we speak. So I want more of you, Lord, in my heart. And to guard my mouth and to set a watch over it and be quick to hear and slow to speak. And those verses that speak a lot about the things that we say to one another and to others. And it doesn't mean there isn't room for rebuke or correction. Not at all. But it ought to be out of a desire to bring love and correction so they will do well in the Lord to restore relationships. And I want to be more like that.
And here David writes, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. In other words, I I don't want to be around the wickedness. I don't want to be around those who practice it. I don't want to eat of their delicacies. What does that remind you of? Daniel chapter 1. As Daniel was just a young man, teenager, and his three friends taken from home, and there they are in Babylon being trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. And he said... And I'm not going to eat the king's delicacies. I'm not going to eat the meat and the wine and defile myself. Because Daniel was determined not to defile himself, it says in Daniel chapter 1. And I hope that that's our prayer. Lord, I don't want to defile myself. I don't want to defile myself with the delicacies of that which is wrong. Those temptations. Those things that will hurt others and unpleasing to you. So David here saying, oh, Lord, help me be free from that. And let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. And let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. So again, David, he recognized that, that there can be correction. And the scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, when we bring correction to one another out of love, it may hurt, but it can be helpful, and hopefully and prayerfully that it is going to be helpful as it's received. Just being honest to one another, caring for one another. And in verse 6, the judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet, and our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. And so... David is saying, I'm going to let God judge my enemies is what I'm going to do. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. In verse 9, keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. And let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. So again, the indication here is David is writing this when he's going through a difficult time. And I have verse um, 9 and 10 just kind of underlined for for when I go through, it seems like that maybe somebody's coming against me and they're laying these traps and, and, and uh, maybe false accusations or whatever that, that we can experience in life as people do come against us. When we give it to the Lord, and I've had this worked out in my life, and perhaps you have as well, as I say, Lord, there's really nothing I can do right now. I need to put it in your hands. I'm not going to be vengeful. I'm not going to, you know be hurtful. I'm going to trust in you. And more times than not, many times I've had to where they fall into their own snares. That's how God will protect you and me. They fall into their own traps. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. And the Lord will bring that place of safety to you and to me as we trust in him and do what is right. So Psalm 142, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. He was either the cave of Adullam or in Gedi uh, that he was hiding from Saul. And as he begins this psalm, he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. And with my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. And so here in Psalm 142, we see that David cries out to the Lord earnestly from his heart because he knows that the Lord will hear him as we covered that uh, very wonderful truth from Scripture. He hears us and that God truly is our help. Boy, sometimes the tendency is, I got to help you out, Lord. 
I got to help you out in this situation. I got to give you the advice. I've got to tell you what the plan is. I got to come up with all these schemes. I got to come up and help you, Lord. And we need to understand that he is our help. And David knew that. And then in verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. For they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So David is deeply distressed. Uh, He feels alone. Isn't that something that perhaps maybe you've experienced? That when you've gone through a hard time, you feel so alone? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? And David here, he he feels alone. He says, no one is at my right hand and and see. I I don't see anyone. Right hand man, somebody who's a good friend. There's no one who acknowledges me. No one cares for my soul. But he knew this, that, Lord, you know the way that which I walk. And, Lord, you know my path. They can set a snare up, but you know my path. You you know where those snares are. You know where those traps are. Lord, you see me. You're with me. And, Lord, I can trust in you. And we are, when we are overwhelmed, when we feel all alone, we can trust that God's going to show us the way to go. And we're going to see God's goodness in his mercy. And then in verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you deal bountifully with me. Realize that God is our provider. He's our protector. And also, as David would proclaim here he is our praise as well let's go to psalm 143 very quickly here as the psalm of david hear my prayer O lord give ear to my supplications in your faithfulness answer me and in your righteous do not enter into judgment with your servant for in your sight no one living is righteous kind of interesting that here notice that he says do not enter into judgment with your servant in verse 7, take note, do not hide your face from me. And again, he's, he's crying out to the Lord in time of trouble. But in this psalm, it's interesting that David felt like he needed to confess his sins that were keeping him from enjoying God's help and blessing. So he is concluding that the sufferings, that whatever he's going through, perhaps is written about the time that he sinned with Bathsheba in Second Samuel. But the sufferings that he was experiencing were the attacks of his enemies was actually God's chastening. So he's asking, Lord, verse 7, don't hide your face from me. Don't hide your face from me. You know, the Lord can use difficult people and painful situations to bring us to repentance. If we're going down the wrong road, the wrong path, falling away from the Lord. But keep in mind, keep in mind this, that God's chastening is to mature us and to get us back to looking to him. It's not to punish us. Jesus took the punishment for you and for me on Calvary's cross. But he will chasten us. He'll discipline us because he loves us. 
And he wants us to turn back to him. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground, verse 3. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse in the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And so David here, he felt like a thirsty man in a dry land. He tells God his situation and how he feels. And he's telling God that because he trusts in the Lord and he knows he can turn to the Lord. And answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I do... I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. And deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. So here in verse 8, he says, I trust in you. Here in verse 9, he says, In you I take shelter. Verse 10, then teach me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. And then verse 11, revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. So, He says, I will trust you. I'm going to hide in your shelter. And Lord, during these times, you teach me. And during the times of difficulties, know that the Lord wants to teach us. To teach us his ways. To teach us to trust in him. To not do our own will. To go our own way. But he wants to teach us. And then he's the one that what? He revives us. He's the only one that can really revive us, revive our hearts and our souls as he brings help to us in the situation that we're in. So, Father, we thank you so much for these psalms that we've gone over and we learn from David. Uh, And, Lord, these words inspired by you to give to David, to write down, preserve for all these millennium, 3,000 years that we may be benefited and blessed here tonight. And Lord, my prayer is that we would, first of all, be ones that we look to you and trust in you in every situation that we find ourselves in. Oh, Father, I do pray tonight that if there's anybody here tonight that they haven't put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that maybe you've never made a real commitment to, to Jesus Jesus came and died on the cross for you because he loves you. And the Bible says all of us have sinned. And Jesus took that punishment for your sin on that cross as he died. His body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And all of your sins were placed upon him. He took the punishment for you. He loves you. He is your salvation. So if there's anyone, if you're listening on live stream or out in a coffee shop or here in the sanctuary, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he is your salvation. He's provide forgiveness. He will bring you into right relationship with the Father. No one else will do that. You can't do it yourself. No church can do that. No other religious leader out there can do that. Only Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Will you give your life to Jesus if you've never done that? That is your salvation. He is your salvation. The message of the gospel. There's no other salvation. Today is the day of salvation. The scripture says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And if that's anyone here in this sanctuary at this time or listening at, on live stream or perhaps you're listening from a CD or on our website, maybe on the radio later, will you pray? Pray right now. That Jesus, I come to you. You are truly my help, my salvation. I believe that. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe you died on that cross for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that you rose again from that grave. You're alive, speaking to my heart, knocking on the door of my heart. And I now open my heart, my life to you and surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I love you. I thank you. Oh, thank you for giving me this new beginning. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you and to know you in Jesus' name. And if anybody here prayed that prayer, as we conclude the service here in just a minute, will you come up and tell me the decision you made? Is I want to pray for you and encourage you. But for all of us, I pray that we would be sweet-smelling aroma, not only to you, Lord, but to others around us, that we would have the fragrance of Christ that would be pleasing to others as we're a light to them. Life to those who have life. Paul says death to those who have death. We know that that fragrance of Christ is going to be offensive to others in the world that rebel against you. But Lord, we come with love. We come with the gospel. We come, our weapons are not carnal but walking with you and knowing you and the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Pray you bless everyone here. And Lord, take us all home just knowing that we can trust in you in every situation, even through the fiery trials of the brokenness of our lives, that you're working and we trust you in your teaching and you revive us you are glorified. So we thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?